0: If I had to put it into general categories, a grandparent can either be a very supportive, empathic, encouraging resource, or they can be a critical resource. And then probably the hardest thing is when the grandparent comes in and undermines what I'm trying to do with the child by saying things like, I don't believe in this therapy nonsense. Or, I know that you're supposed to sleep in your own bed, but I don't think there's any reason why you have to do that. And I don't understand why your mommy and daddy are being so mean about blah, 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 blah. And that happens in a lot of situations. You know, maybe there's a family that decides they're going to be vegan and the grandmother decides that's stupid or the grandfather decides that's stupid and gives him a hamburger. Welcome to Fluster clucks with Lynn Lyons, where we talk about a family's anxiety and other
1: big feelings. Serious stuff without being too serious. I'm your co-host, Robin,
0: and I'm Lynn's sister-in-law, and I'm here to ask your questions. And I'm Lynn Lyons. I'm an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and author, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. Parenting can be a Fluster Clucks, and I'm here to help you find your way And I'll even tell you what to say.
1: Lynn, I know you have a new book coming out in the fall. (laughs) I
0: do? You do?
1: Pub date, October 18th. (laughs) But I have another idea. You need to do a sequel for anxious kids, anxious parents, anxious grandparents. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because we have a listener question today really talking about the generational patterns of anxiety. And when you're working with your anxious kids and you've got anxious parents, the sandwich anxiety generation, right? You're the baloney in the anxiety sandwich. That's Mm -hmm. right. That's right. Well, let's go ahead and start with the listener question. And here it is. Okay. I hope you can help with this issue. I'm pretty anxious and we are going to therapy now for my 11-year-old daughter's anxiety. We're learning a lot about patterns in families, and I've read your book too. We've made a lot of progress, but here's the problem. My mother is very anxious, and my father, though not as bad, is not by any means easygoing. And we're going to a family member's wedding this summer. It requires a plane, hotels, and all the arrangements. You can imagine at a destination wedding, and I'm so excited, but I'll be in charge of the plans for my parents, and we'll be traveling together. My mother, if she even gets on the plane, will be a disaster, and my father will get angry and bossy. They're both completely healthy and capable. It's just that anxiety makes them hard to deal with. How do I talk to my kids about this, and how do I enjoy the wedding? And I'm really looking forward to it, but my parents have the ability to make it really tough on me, and they also don't believe in that therapy nonsense. (laughs)
0: Maybe that should be the title of my next book, That Therapy Nonsense. Yeah. Oh, I specialize in that
1: therapy nonsense.
0: Yeah, right, right. That's my jam. Yeah. So this is such a great question because I talk about the generational patterns of worry. And this is a mom who's saying she's recognizing that she's really anxious. She's working on her daughter's anxiety. And so likely this thing didn't just spring out of nowhere. So it's not surprising that she's dealing with anxious parents too. Yeah,
1: it sounds like we have a worrier and a controller.
0: Yeah, a catastrophizer.
1: Yeah, a catastrophizer and someone who's going to be really bossy and demand that things go the way he wants.
0: Yeah, so we've got rigidity, we've got catastrophizing. And then also, did you hear a little bit in that listener question, did you hear her catastrophizing too, right? So she said, my mom is going to be a disaster. Even if she gets on the plane, she's going to be a disaster. In some ways, it's good to know what you're up against, right? It's good to sort of step into it with some awareness. But she's already predicting the worst. And worriers do that a lot. They say, prepare for the worst, hope for the best, right? That's what catastrophizers do. There's a few things that I would like this mom to think about. One is that she is learning about how anxiety works. She is working in therapy with her daughter to interrupt these family patterns, but it is not her job to fix her parents' anxiety. That's not her responsibility. Her responsibility is to make sure that she doesn't pass on or model these patterns to her child. Her responsibility is to think of herself as a support and a teacher and a flexible role model for her 11-year-old.
1: Especially if you think about if the grandkids are seeing these behaviors in the grandparents, it's like a great model of how do you be the character foil of
0: my parents? That's right. Yeah. And so there's a few things that are going to be really helpful for this mom. One is that, and I've said this before, right? This is that gem of wisdom that I learned from Michael Yapko there's a difference between something impacting you personally and something you have to take personally. So just as we pull out our own worry and create some distance, you know, we've got that cult leader that bosses us around and we're like, okay, we know what you're going to do. She should do the same thing with her mom's and her dad's reactions. When her mom starts to catastrophize, Instead of feeling like she has to confront her mom or talk her mom out of it or judge her mom when her dad gets angry and bossy, when her dad talks about that therapy nonsense, she doesn't really have any obligation to deal with her parents other than just to be able to say, yeah, I hear you, or yeah, I understand this is hard for you. So she wants to create some distance between her parents' anxiety and how she's going to respond. And then the other really important part of it is that she has some discussion with her 11-year-old, maybe ahead of time, about how we notice when worry shows up. And she could even say, we're going to notice how it shows up in you. She didn't say that the 11-year-old would be nervous going to the wedding. Maybe that's not a thing that her daughter would worry about. But she can say, let's notice how worry shows up in our family. And isn't it interesting? Like it might show up for Grammy in this way. It might show up in grandpa this way. And we're going to be able to see how worry shows up and takes over people. And the reason that we're going to therapy, the reason that we're going to see the person that we see is so that we can interrupt these patterns. And you can even say to the daughter, now, of course, I want you to notice how I might get sucked into my worry too, because I'm really working on it. So we're going to work on our family, making sure that the worry doesn't take over, and we're going to notice what happens with Grammy and Grandpa. So having that discussion ahead of time can be really helpful, and you can make it a little playful. It's an incredible
1: opportunity for children of that age particularly, because they're pretty sophisticated at that point. Mm Mm-hmm to just start thinking of family interactions in that way. I mean, because our families are both our teachers and our healers and (laughs) our problem causers.
0: (laughs) You know, it's everything. Yeah, yeah. And what happens sometimes in families is, and this happens a lot in families where there's substance use, where there's alcoholism, is that we want to protect the kids from it. So we deny it or we minimize it or we say, oh, there's nothing wrong Or, oh, that's not what you're seeing. Or we make excuses for it. Oh, that's just what she does. And that's not really helpful. And that happens a lot in families where there's alcoholism and it's crazy making. So a kid is witnessing something that is really not good. And the parent or whoever the protective adult is, is saying, oh, that's fine. Oh, she just gets happy when she or something like that. We don't have to pathologize it. We don't have to throw grandma under the bus. But we can say, isn't it interesting how these patterns get passed down? Do you notice how Grammy reacts when she's getting on the plane? Have you ever seen me do something like that? Mm -hmm. And so suddenly now we have this opportunity, like you say, to talk about it in a very open way. It's enormously helpful. I want to talk quickly (laughs) as a travel advisor, Mm
1: -hmm. ways that I would recommend this listener think about her own self-care and her own goals for this wedding. And this experience, which is enjoyment.
0: Mm-hmm, right. So
1: that means putting up some boundaries. Mm-hmm. That means on a very logistical level, have your parents sit farther away in the front <laughs> of the plane from you and your family. Give yeah. yourself some distance and make sure that also the hotel rooms are separate and even on different floors. As an advisor, I sometimes can hear because I plan so many multi-generational trips. Mm -hmm. Don't let guilt lead you in this planning process. Hmm. That's such a good piece of advice. Think about what you need in order for everyone to have a good time. Because one of the questions I often ask a family who they want to rent a big house together, I always say, okay, well, when you're all in a room right now, how's the vibe? Don't let the idea of something take you down the wrong path. And if in reality, space is how the family can handle each other and find enjoyment with each other when they have breaks, when they have more ways to create buffers. So acknowledge when you need those buffers and give them to yourself.
0: That's such an excellent point because anxious people, worriers, not all of them, but one of the things that worriers tend to do sometimes is they step into that place of over-responsibility. They worry that if they do something, they're going to hurt somebody's feelings or it's not going to work, and they take on too much. They want to become the organizer. They want to become the happy police. And you feel guilty that you're not doing everything that you possibly can. The other thing too, and the phrase I would use, is don't make plans based on wishful thinking. Yes. Don't make plans based on how you wish it could be. Absolutely. That suddenly all of the dynamics during this wedding are going to go away. And in fact, <laughs> what you should recognize everybody is that weddings and funerals are where the dynamics come out. Oh, I was they're they're intensified. Yeah, yeah. They're absolutely intensified. To think that people aren't going to bring their crap to a wedding or bring their crap to a funeral is silly. That's where it's intensified because the emotions are intensified. Lots of times you're seeing people that you don't see on a regular basis. Lots of people, they're planning for a wedding, they're planning for a trip, and they're at home and they're just packing all of their resentment into their little carry-on so they can bring it right on the trip with them. You want to keep your expectations realistic. You really want to keep them realistic. The other thing too, and I've sat on planes near a lot of anxious flyers, I'm not a fan at all of benzodiazepines, Ativan, lorazepam, clonopin. But if you are trying to get your very anxious mother on a plane, this would be one of the examples in which a little benzo might be a helpful tool, not for you, mom, but for grandma. I'm not saying like, medicate your mother, but I'm kind of saying like, medicate your mother. And perhaps, (laughs) perhaps even maybe mom already has her own medication that she takes if mom is a lifelong anxiety person because. Who doesn't like the therapy nonsense. (laughs) Who doesn't like the therapy nonsense, right? Grandpa doesn't like the therapy nonsense, but he really likes his martini when he gets on the plane. And maybe grandma really likes her benzo. So this is not a time to worry about that. This is a time to support the medicating of the really anxious parent on the plane so that you don't have to deal with them. Yeah. We did
1: an episode on difficult mothers-in-law. I believe it was like October of 2020, which is a really fun episode. But you have obviously dealt with so many multi-generational issues in your practices. Mm -hmm. And one of your best pieces of advice, I think, is the gamification of
0: patterns. Mm
1: -hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit more?
0: This listener, this mom is saying, like, I'm pretty sure I know how my mom is going to act. I'm pretty sure I know how my dad is going to act. And again, it's good to realistically, you know, not be surprised by it. I can't believe that he's being so bossy. Yeah, no, he's always bossy. You can make a bit of a game of it. Like I... Probably talked about this in the mother in law issue. Is a client of mine whose mother in law would do this passive aggressive sighing. And so she just created a game with her husband that every time her mother in law sighed, huh? she would put a dollar in a jar. And then when the mother in law left after the visit, they were going to go out to dinner only using the money in the jar. So if the mother in law only sighed five times, they'd have to go to Subway and split a foot long. But if the mom was constantly sighing, the daughter-in-law was like, cha-ching, cha-ching, we're going to go to a really <laughs> nice dinner. So you can come up with a game. So maybe this mom, the baloney and the anxious sandwich, maybe she makes a game with her partner. Every time my mom says something catastrophic, we have a little signal that we give each other. We have a way that we play around with it because the problem in these situations is that somebody does the exact same thing that they do and you react and respond the exact same way you always react and respond. So we want to interrupt the pattern, but if we can interrupt grandma's pattern, you can interrupt your pattern. Yeah, I was just
1: about to say that. And the reason why gamifying... With your kids, particularly, is you're training them early to recognize that they can shift their own response. They're in control of their own response, which, of course, then leads to the ability to distance yourself from your feelings, which is the foundation of emotional management.
0: Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's step one, that's step two. Step one, step two is that somebody does something or you feel something or you think something. And then the skill we want to teach our kids is how do we respond and react to it? It's sort of like you've been saying this, and I've heard you say this, is that you go to a hotel or you're getting on an airplane and people are exhausted and a lot of places are understaffed right now. So there are things that are going to happen that are going to frustrate you. And that's okay that you feel frustrated, that you have to wait in a line or you feel frustrated, but how do you treat the person who's trying to help you? And so that's the thing that you have control over. How do you respond? And we can say to kids over and over again, and we're going to have to say it over and over again, it is really frustrating when somebody does this, or I feel really annoyed when somebody does this, but I'm going to learn how to respond and react to it in a different way. Anxiety really wants to take things seriously. It really wants to be catastrophic.
1: If you make a game with your 11-year-old about spotting a pattern that the parent, grandparents do, that 11-year-old may actually spot the pattern before you do because you're so entrenched in it because you're 40-something, and it's just been so normalized. Right, right. Your child can be your ally and helping you raise awareness about something.
0: Yeah. You don't want to make it mean-spirited. You don't want to make it so that you're ridiculing. When you're working with your child about this, noticing these patterns, you want to talk about it in a way that says to your daughter, I really struggle with worry. We're really working on it. Grandma really struggles with her worry too. It's kind of interesting. We can observe how grandma gets herself so anxious, which is the same way I get myself so anxious and which is even the same way that you get yourself so anxious. You can even say to them, it's sort of like we're in a nature show and we're just studying grandma in the wild and we're just noticing these patterns and it really helps them to become good observers One of the things I do in therapy all the time, one of the rules of thumb is that when I'm trying to change a pattern, I start outside of somebody's own individual pattern, and then I bring it in closer because people are much more defensive when you're talking about their patterns, but they're really good at noticing patterns outside of themselves. Well, when we come
1: back, I want to hear more about the different types of grandparent dynamics you have seen play out in your
0: practice. Mm. Mm. (laughs) There's some good ones. I am really working on improving my diet by making sure that I get the best quality products, organic foods, and I really want to make sure that I'm not using harsh chemicals in my home. Thrive Market is my go-to for all of my grocery and household essentials. The convenience of getting everything online and then quickly shipped to my doorstep, that is a huge time saver. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. I can use their filters to suit my lifestyle needs. So maybe you're looking for organic snacks for your kids, or maybe you're gluten-free. As a Thrive Market member, I save money on every single grocery order. You will too. On average, I save over 30% each time. They even have a deals page that changes daily, always has some of my favorite brands. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. So... Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash flusterclux for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash flusterclux. thrivemarket.com slash flusterclux. How are those New Year's resolutions going? Well...
1: Make laundry day easier for you, but it will also be easier on the planet. So help me make plastic jugs a thing of the past. And if Earth Breeze doesn't end up being the 2024 update of your dreams, you don't even have to return it. Just let them know it's not for you and you'll get a full refund, no questions asked. Get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash That's earthbreeze.com slash for 40% off your subscription.
0: All right, grandparents in my practice. It has ranged. It has gone from incredibly helpful. A grandparent comes to a session. I work in a systems way. So I include family members. I want to get information from people who can give me information. So sometimes grandparents are enormously helpful. So they'll come to a session. Maybe they're a really big part of a child's life. You know, sometimes they even live with the family. And so that can be really helpful. And then it goes all the way to the other side where a grandparent can be, maybe they don't believe in that therapy nonsense, so they're sort of trying to undermine what I'm doing. And it often is sort of somewhere in between that they are willing to learn and they're also having trouble changing their own patterns. I've had grandparents who come to sessions with their adult child who are really critical in a session about what their daughter or their son is doing, and I can see the dynamic playing out. One time, I <laughs> I had a grandmother call me, and remember, I'm not allowed to say anything to anybody. So if I don't have permission to speak to a grandparent, if they call me on the phone and I answer the phone, I can't say anything because I'm confidentiality. So I had a grandparent call me once, and she said, I know you can't talk to me. I just picked up the phone. Hello? I know you can't talk to me, but I'm just going to tell you right now and boy, she went on a tear. And she she was telling me about all the horrible things her granddaughter was doing, all the horrible things her daughter was doing. She was saying that I wasn't helping at all, that there was nothing that I that she had seen no change since her granddaughter had been in therapy and in fact things have gotten worse and I thought, "Oh my gosh, this is how this person communicates. This is how this person operates." And then when I saw the mom again, And when I saw the granddaughter again, it really allowed me to understand a lot of what was going on between them. This mom didn't know how to communicate with her teenage daughter. And it became pretty clear why after I had gotten that lashing from that grandmother on the phone.
1: That's fascinating because, again, it wasn't about the content of what Mm -hmm. the grandmother said. It was all about her process that told you what you needed to know.
0: Yep. And she was wrong, actually. (laughs) A lot of what she was saying was pretty inaccurate because I had been talking to the mom and the daughter and I knew what was going on. So yeah, it was all about the process of how she was taking in this information and how she was talking about it. At the end of that call, you were like, thank you. This has been very helpful. And the grandmother's like, yes. And you're like, not the way you think. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Thank you for all that helpful information about you. Yeah. It was really interesting.
1: Well, some of the grandparents, I feel like you've told me on another episode that the grandparents come to the therapy or like sit outside of the office. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about when grandparents are a little enmeshed. How do you know when is healthy involvement and when is not helpful involvement?
0: Healthy involvement means that they are able to support their grandchild or support their child in what we're working on. So healthy involvement might be, for example, I had a daughter who was really working to change her anxious patterns. The mom was also anxious. The grandmother was also anxious and they were working on it. The grandmother was really helpful in supporting her daughter in changing the patterns with the granddaughter. The difficulty was... At bedtime, the difficulty was getting this little girl to school. There was a lot of separation anxiety. And the mom just needed support because it's really hard when your little child has separation anxiety and you have anxiety too. It's really hard to follow through with what I tell you to do because your child is distressed, you're distressed. And this grandmother was really good at just giving encouraging pep talks. So after the mom would drop off her little girl at school and the little girl was crying, She could call her mom and say, oh my gosh, mom, that was hard. And the mom would be like, you know what? We are doing this. We are breaking this cycle. You are doing a great job. And I coached her in that. I coached her, I don't want you to offer a lot of advice. I don't want you to offer a lot of criticism. I just want you to be encouraging and validating. And the grandmother was so helpful in doing that. Then there are other times, of course, where the grandmother shows up at a therapy session. The grandmother's out in the car. and. The grandmother comes in and comes off as sort of like, I want to help. And the way I'm going to help is I'm going to tell you all the things that my daughter is doing wrong. And I'm also going to not take any responsibility for this pattern. And it's a lot of denial, a lot of sort of like, I don't know where she gets this. And in those situations, sometimes if they show up and it's a three generational thing, I'll kick the kid out of the room and I'll talk to the two of them together. And sometimes I'll actually kick the daughter and the mom out of the room, and I'll just talk to the grandparent. This is what I'm hearing, and I think this is the pattern that you need to interrupt. Sometimes they listen, and sometimes they don't. If I had to put it into general categories, a grandparent can either be a very supportive, empathic, encouraging resource... Or they can be a critical resource. And then probably the hardest thing is when the grandparent comes in and undermines what I'm trying to do with the child by saying things like, I don't believe in this therapy nonsense, Mm -hmm. or I know that you're supposed to sleep in your own bed, but I don't think there's any reason why you have to do that. And I don't understand why your mommy and daddy are being so mean about blah, 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 blah. And that happens in a lot of situations. You know, maybe there's a family that decides they're going to be vegan and the grandmother decides that's stupid or the grandfather decides that's stupid and gives them a hamburger, right? So it can happen in all sorts of ways. It's a tricky dynamic sometimes. If I have access to the grandparent, I can do some work with that. I like having access to the grandparent because sometimes I can really get them to support and help and encourage. Not all the time.
1: Well, if you're already reading your book or listening to this podcast because you have kids who are most likely at least four or five and above, Mm -hmm. right? Because Mm -hmm. even though people do think there are such a thing as anxious toddlers, right? Like that comes up a lot. That's like a popular Google term, actually. So yeah, (laughs) that's another episode. Yeah. So you've had to negotiate these types of things with your parents on a variety of things. Like you said, like we're going vegan or I want to breastfeed and you bottle fed. There are generational Mm -hmm. differences of parenting. Mm -hmm. And there's always like a couple of categories. One is this choice that you're making with my grandchildren is stupid. I don't understand it. I don't really see the benefit. Why isn't what I did good enough? Mm -hmm. But when you play that out in this, you're in therapy, you've got a kid who's struggling and you're really trying to turn things around. The grandparents are either going to say, Yes, what can I do? I see this as an issue. Mm-hmm. They're going to say, therapy, therapy. It's also because I don't think they understand it. But then I would say, my mom, if I were in the situation, she's passed, so I can be honest. My mom would have felt very threatened and assumed all blame mm-hmm. and would have felt guilt. Oh my gosh, what did I do? And she would have probably layered it with other things in the beginning. Mm -hmm. but if she'd met with you and I were in this situation, I think she would just say, thank you for telling me what to do. It's helpful. I want to be helpful. And she would get there, but she would have to go through those layers of guilt and what she did wrong. And I think that understanding how to be empathic with your parents can really facilitate a positive engagement in this process.
0: Yeah, and it's the same conversation that I have lots of times with parents when they come in. They start saying, you know, this is what's going on, and they and I start saying, okay, so this is the patterns that we see, and I see that look on their face, like, oh my god. Sometimes they just get this wave of guilt, this wave of, oh, I'm a terrible parent, and I screwed up, and I can't believe I did this, and I have such a part in this. And my job very early on is to normalize it, right? And I say. Nobody says, okay, I'm going to have a baby and I'm going to see if I can make it really, really anxious. Let's see if I can do it, right? Which actually is not that hard to do. So let me see if I can do it. Nobody says that. And so that's the same speech that I give to a grandparent. So if they say, oh, I know it's all my fault. I talk a lot about the difference between blame and responsibility. I am not here to blame you for this pattern, but now right in this moment, now it's your responsibility to see how we can shift it.
1: Well, that also means that the parent can really think about their own path of understanding, mm-hmm. working with you, reading books, working with a different therapist, convey that on a very vulnerable place with the parent yeah, to make them understand that and hopefully skip a couple steps so that everyone's on the same team.
0: Right, right. And when people feel guilty, when they take responsibility or they feel, oh gosh, I did this, that happens 95% of the time right? They say, oh God, and they feel badly. And I'll say, of course you feel that way. That's a human thing to feel. Of course you feel that way. And so now we're going to figure out what to do next because you're a human being and you're not perfect, et cetera. The really difficult people to deal with, whether it's a parent or a grandparent, is the denial person that says, no, I have nothing to do with this. No, that's stupid. And sometimes if there is a grandparent in a situation where I'm dealing with that, I can see that they're very anxious. I can see that they have all these patterns. And based on what the adult child is telling me, then we're going to have to work on putting up some boundaries. That's not going to be the person that you go to for help. I can think right off the top of my head, I can think of two women that I am dealing with and their mom is not going to be the person who's going to be helpful. Then we say, well, how can your mom be helpful and how can she have a nice relationship with your kids, et cetera, et cetera? But in terms of dealing with the anxiety and supporting the change that the family is making, that grandparent is not going to be the go-to. If you're trying to get sober and your parent is actively using drugs or alcohol, that's not going to be the person that you're going to go to. It's figuring that out. And empathy, of course, goes a huge, huge way. Grandparents will say to me, well, we didn't know this when we were raising our kids, or we didn't have an understanding of this. And I say, of course you didn't that's okay. You can learn now. Grandparents can be really powerful, wonderful allies, and they can also be the opposite. And then we just have to figure that out. We'll be right back. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. So when you're a parent, you're going to have your fair share of big talks with your kids, right? About all sorts of big topics. One of those big talks should involve money. And Greenlight can help with that. Greenlight is a debit card and a money app that's made for families. It allows you to do instant money transfers. You can get real-time notifications of spending. You can manage chores. You can automate allowance. responsible financial choices. So stop putting off the money talk and start putting your kids on the right path. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com slash fluster. That's greenlight.com slash fluster to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash fluster. Do you
1: think seeing a therapist or a psychiatrist would be helpful? but you don't have the time to actually find one? And then like, when do you have time to meet with them? Try Talkspace. By doing everything online, Talkspace has made getting the help you want easy, accessible, and affordable. relationship issues, and much more. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $80 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash Fluster to get $80 off your first month. That's Talkspace.com slash Fluster. When we get back to this listener question, I'm sympathetic to hearing that she's got a known event with everybody there And she's really trying hard to work on something and she's going to get no support from her parents. Mm -hmm. And not only that, what happens and what would you tell her to do if she wants to start talking to her daughter about something and the parents try and disrupt it right there and call her out or dismiss her or
0: whatever? How would you address the parents both privately and in front of the child? Mm -hmm. So the one thing I wouldn't want to do with this mom is that I wouldn't want to do too much planning about the horrible things that could happen. That's doing the disorder. If I were to say to the mom about the grandma, let's make sure we prepare for every contingency. Mm. I wouldn't do that. She did say in the letter, if she even gets on the plane. So I might think a little bit about that, what the plan would be if mom refuses to get on the plane. But I think we want to have maybe just one response. So one of the things I do a lot with people when they're stepping into difficult situations that are kind of predictable is just to have one sentence at the ready. I want you to stick to that sentence. I don't want you to get into a tug of war. I don't want you to get into a debate. So we would come up with a sentence and it might be something like, mom, we can talk about this another time or mom, this is not the time or place to go into this. Or mom, I appreciate your input, but not now. Something like that. And then the trick is just to keep repeating that sentence. Because if you say to the mom, mom, this is not the time or place for us to discuss this. And the mom says, well, I think that blah, 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 blah. And you say, mom, not the time or place for us to discuss this. And you are just boring and redundant in your response. And what that means, the permission that gives you also is that you don't have to figure out how you're going to work this through, or how you're going to have this discussion. Your mantra and your mindset is, I'm just going to politely shut it down. So I would have them come up with that sentence. And if they had to write it down on a little sticky note and put it in their pocket, then all the better. So we're going to keep it simple and consistent, and we're not going to discuss it. This is what talking to the hand means. That's right. Because you just held
1: up your hand
0: perfectly when you were doing that too. Talk to the hand. Yeah. Probably don't want to say talk Talk to 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 the hand. Yeah. Some version of talk (laughs) to your hand. And then the other thing you really want to pay attention to is that if you're in with all these family members, and I don't know what the other family dynamics are, is to really pay attention to the lure of negative connection. Because if your mom is driving you crazy, it could be really tempting to go to one of your siblings or one of your cousins or one of her siblings and sort of start talking about it and getting into it. And at big family events like that, that stuff spreads like drunken wildfire. So keep your mouth shut. Good advice. Have your partner, have somebody else that you can go to to sort of be like, oh my God, I can't believe it. But do not gossip. Do not talk about it. Do not get other people involved. It will not end well talking about your mom to other relatives, it's going to go wrong. So keep your mouth shut. Don't gossip. Don't negatively connect, as tempting as it's going to be. There was one client that I had actually, similar situation. They were going to a wedding. They had to fly, you know, a long flight. The grandma was really, really anxious and had been really anxious and we all knew she was really anxious. And so the daughter arranged that the priest who was officiating at the wedding would sit next to her on the plane. <laughs> so, and I know this person listens to the podcast. So if you're listening, I just want to say like, that was brilliant, right? So the priest sat with the grandma on the plane. It was like a human Benzo. <laughs> yeah, I thought, wow, that was really smart to arrange the seating in that way.
1: Yeah, flying anxiety is very real for so many people. Mm-hmm. Even uh, in the travel industry, so many of us who work in this space still have flight anxiety. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful I don't.
0: Yeah, I am too. I'm really grateful. And of course, you can imagine when I'm at the airport and I'm flying, I just see it all around me. There's part
1: of me that when I can tell I'm sitting next to someone who's really anxious as we're taking off, what is it that I could say to them right now? Just distract them sometimes. Where are you going and what
0: are you doing? Well, the example I always give, you know, when we always say like, what's the worst that could happen? No, right? you so don't I, say that. <laughs> people say that all the time. And I always say like, don't say that. So I, I always imagine sitting on a plane, you're sitting next to this anxious flyer. They're imagining the plane crashing. And you turn to them and go, what's the worst that could happen? Not helpful. This is why we don't say that. We don't
1: say that. Yeah. I remember with my daughter, when she was an infant, I had her asleep in like a sling. And I didn't pull her out of the sling because I had bounced her in the gate. So she was like perfectly asleep. She was a tiny little infant. And then they were like, you're going to have to remove her from that sling for takeoff. And I'm like, are you kidding me? She's going to wake up then. Oh, yeah. And I just remember looking at the flight attendant and like, if we crash, we crash. I don't really see why this is going (laughs) to matter. But the woman next to me that I said that looked at me in like complete horror. (laughs) I had not made her flight
0: better. Such a... Such an interesting little experience when you're on a plane with all these people.
1: And sadly, the statistics are there that there's more drama on planes Mm now Mm -hmm. uh, related to the episode about living in a tinderbox society that we are now too. Yeah. I mean, the rates of violence on airplanes
0: now Mm -hmm. is,
1: is a little depressing.
0: It is a little depressing, but I'll end with a little sweet story that's the opposite of depressing. I was on a plane... My kids are two years apart, so a two-and-a-half-year-old and an infant, and we were in the way back of the plane. My little son was in one seat. I was holding my little tiny baby, and this man who looked to be, you know, probably like 45 or whatever, was sitting next to me, we were crammed in there. And he turned to me, and he said, I know that you're probably going to want to nurse your baby and that's totally fine with me. I will give you privacy, but please don't feel self-conscious because I know you're just trying to. He, and he said it like in just like a very genuine way. Like I knew he was a dad and his wife had probably nursed their children and he could see like, uh. It was just such a kind gesture for him to sort of say that to me. I remember being so grateful. Yeah. So there is kindness out there. I remember
1: on a flight, I flew a lot when my daughter was an infant because I was flying to see both grandparents all the time. Mm -hmm. I had a nursing cover if I felt like I needed to ever use that. Mm -hmm. And the nursing cover was called a hooter hider. (laughs) So I was sitting next to a guy with, I needed to nurse my daughter. And I could tell this guy was the opposite of that guy. Yeah, And it's like, you know what, with a little humor. And I was like, I'm going to nurse my daughter. Check this out. And I showed him the label and he laughed Uh and I saw him like soften, find the humor in it. And then he was like, cool and not showing me dirty glares anymore. So anyway, so whoever invented that hooter hider, that wasn't the little tip they probably planned on incorporating
0: (laughs) into their product. Right. Right. So it was a good way to just sort of diffuse that whole like, oh, and just sort of normalize. Hey, look, I'm going to nurse my baby and I'm going to use my hooter hider. Those days are over for us. They are. Thank God. I don't, I'm not, I'm not hiding my hooters. Yeah. My days of my days of hooter hiding are over.
1: Interpret that how you want. So
0: join the Facebook group so that you can ask Lynn your question on an upcoming episode. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Flusterclucks. Bye, Robin. Bye, Lynn.